So let's move on to the series, The Wait and the Hope. We've been talking a lot about what it means to wait, how we wait, and today we're going to continue. Nick started a little bit in the series last week about the activity of waiting, how we wait. I want to take it from a little bit different angle today. You know, this time of year spurned on my Hallmark cards and, and greeting cards writers everywhere. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, and the restfulness of a silent night without the full understanding of what God meant 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is going to leave a false hope, unfortunately, because in January, things are going to be the same. And if you don't understand what God meant to begin that night in Bethlehem, the card writers just move on to Bethlehem and we hope again for a good feel-good moment. But as Christians, I hope and I pray that we understand the difference between the feel-good moment of hope and what it means to truly hope in a Messiah, to hope in God. The provision that God made in Christ on the cross gives us a true hope. And I want to talk a little bit about that today because at times even that can be fleeting. You know, the basis of our hope is Christ, his cross and the resurrection. That's a fact. It doesn't change. The object of our hope is God and his perfect plan. But what's the activity of our hope? In my life, it's been strained at times. And, and yet the Bible clearly lays out what the activity of our hope is. It's found in Ephesians 2.10. It just simply says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Simply stated, it means we, we love Jesus, we, we follow him, we read the word, and we get up every do, day and we trust that he's guiding us and we do what's in front of him, knowing that he's placed it there for us to do. And in this, we will grow, will advance the things in the kingdom that he wants us to be a part of, and will be satisfied at night when we sleep. Today, I want to tell you a little bit of my story to give some context, and I think you'll relate to it. I want to share how I've learned to navigate the hope that's been set before us. I hope joyfully and in the present. In my journey over since I was well, really, I had my first surgery when I was 16. Much of life has been in pain. And, and I've had to learn to navigate what's it mean to have hope when sometimes it hurts. 21 surgeries later, the last one just a month ago is a hip replacement. I'm still working on this. I've got the basics down. But it's amazing how many people have come across, many of you, and you've said things like, thank you for talking about your pain, or thank you for talking about the hope that you have in spite of pain. It's helped me. I felt isolated. And, and in that isolation, there's doubt. It's difficult. And I understand that, but I also know that God is faithful. And it's to that point that, that I really want to share today. People often say, well, my pain's not as bad as yours. And to that, I'm like, bah humbug. Pain is pain. 
It doesn't matter if it's small or large. When you're in the middle of it, it hurts. True, it comes in different forms, durations, and with various complications or consequences. But if you're in pain, regardless if it's emotional, relational, or physical, you don't like it. It's not any fun. And those are the times we just want to cry out to God and say, take it away, and pray that he just alleviates it with a sweep of his hand. The problem is he usually doesn't do that. Although on occasion, he does. I've been healed. I remember in, as a 13-year-old eighth grader, I had a hot appendix and, and went to the hospital. They rushed me into surgery. And I woke up in my hospital bed in my room and I reached under the covers to find out how big the bandwidth was and there wasn't one. About that time, the nurse came in and I said, how come I don't have a Band-Aid? It was my first big scar and it wasn't there. And she said, well, and just as she started to speak, the doctor came in and she said, he can tell you. He was kind of embarrassed and I didn't understand it as a 13 year old. I said, how come I don't have a scar? Didn't you take it out? And he said, no. He said, I had the scalpel poised to cut and through the tubes in your throat, you mumbled, I'm healed. He dropped his head and he said, nobody in this hospital knows I'm a Christian. And when I heard those words, I knew I had to give explanation of why I hesitated to cut. And as I stood there not cutting you, I told the people in the operating room about Christ and what it meant to be healed. And that God healed to show himself as Christ. Not just for your comfort, I think it was so that I would open my mouth and be a witness. And then he said something really strange to a 13 year old, he said, thank you. My parents came in later and they were amazed and mom and dad cried and we went home. And so God does heal, but sometimes he doesn't. And we have to wait through it. We have to hope through it. And I'd like to think I become an expert in that, but I really haven't. About a month ago, I wrote an email to Nick and to Kent Rahauser, the chairman for the elders. And I started it out like this. I said, this is not a letter of resignation, but it's just as difficult for me to write because I need to ask for help. And if you know me at all, I, I don't like asking for help. I don't like receiving help. I like doing, I like giving to others. It's probably most of us do. And I went on to tell them what the, how the last two years have really impacted Estelle and I. It's been a lot. Her dad passed away, my mom passed away. I've had several surgeries, one major. Estel's had several surgeries. One of our children made some devastating announcements to us that we weren't aware of. Had a heart attack, quadruple bypass, and a month ago had a hip replaced. And it, it's just been a lot. In the normal throes of pastoring, sometimes is enough. And to add a couple of these, I could have weathered, but 
I found myself in the last nine months not really savoring life. And, and I've had to come to terms that I need to get healthy spiritually, physically, emotionally. I'm a bit thin right now, very thin. <laughs> not physically, that wasn't in the list. But the others are. And so I'm actually taking off six weeks, January, two weeks of February, just to do the things and to do the work that I know I need to do to get bolstered back up, to serve you well, to love Esco well, and to be content in who I am in Christ and myself. Now, some of these things are basic that I'm going to say now, and I, I want you to listen to them because they're so basic we forget. You know, in sports, it was always after the game, the next practice was back to the basics, whether it was tackling or, or foot drills or, or whatever it was. God created everything in perfection. Relationships were perfect. How they perceived things was perfect. The earth was perfect. And then in Genesis 3, we have that fateful chapter where sin was introduced. And everything that was perfect and beautiful was corrupted. Man failed to worship God and began to seek ways to exalt himself. He began to think that he could use God for his own betterment. The world began to age on that day. It says that it groans with its aging. Our bodies began to age. Then we physically die. Disease and weeds thrive. Two-year-olds say no. Work is exhausting. And Satan can't touch God and so he goes after his creation, us. And God loved his creation so much that he chose to reach into this mess a couple thousand years ago and create a pathway of redemption for those of us who choose to believe, but for anybody who wants to believe and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we celebrate the beginning of that next week and we call it Christmas. Through Jesus, his paying for our sin penalty on the cross and then triumphing over death, we're invited to become positionally perfect in Christ, even though we struggle with the flesh. We begin to experience the beauty of life as God meant it to be experienced, how he created it to be, in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Full perfection will come when we stand before him that day he comes to return us, his church, to heaven with him. So what I've had to learn is that when I heard, it's not God's fault. It's a condition of sin. My hope is twofold. I hope that I'll have the strength every day to endure well and to be found faithful. The second is that I hope my pain stays earthbound when, when we go to heaven so I can dance and work in a pain-free body. I don't think I'll get to golf pain-free because Golf is frustrating, and I don't think there'll be golfing or frustration in heaven, so we'll have to leave it with that. But Romans 8, 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I have a choice, and you have a choice. Some of you are in the midst of relational pain, some with disease, 
some in financial pain, some physical, some emotional. And every time that pain twinges our heart, we have a choice. We focus on it or remember there's something better coming. Paul didn't script that verse as a Hallmark greeting. He scripted it because it's true. And one thing I found is, is when, as he, uh, Philippians 4, 8 says, to think about these things, the things of heaven. When I think about the future, when I hope against my pain, the pain doesn't win. Oh, there are days it does. It just gets too intense. But most of the time, God's word is stronger. And I can rely on it. I can lean into it. There's another verse in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. It says, here's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we disown him, he'll disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. There's another translation that says, because he can do no other. See, God is faithful. So, he doesn't shield us from pain. We live in the reality of this world. The world is dying, we're dying, and we get to suffer the consequences. But he is willing to use our pain and circumstance to shape us into his righteousness. Romans 8, 28, the first part especially loves to get quoted. God works all things together for good. And a lot of times we like to put a period there, but there's no period. It says, for those called according to his purpose. When we live according to the purposes of God, he works things out in a way that we can live with them, in a way that's good for us, in a way that promotes the things that God is about. Pain and suffering can and should be tools in the hands of our Redeemer. And by the way, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by David Tripp is a great book. So... What does our stance need to be? One, we worship God because he's deserving of it. We don't use God to gain or pad our way. Many times Nick has talked about that the gospel isn't there for therapy and it's not there just for morality. Although when we become Christians, we do live a better life and we live life better. It feels better. We know how to, what to do and how to do things. But the primary purpose is to worship him. He's deserving of it. And it's easy to focus on what he does for us because he does so much for us. But I've had to learn that even when I don't feel him present, he is. And when he's present and I'm in good relationship with him, the benefits of the relationship still exist. I've told this story before, but it fits again a number of years ago. When the girls were in elementary school, during the summer, I would invite them to run errands with me or, or uh, ministry visits or whatever it was. And, and uh, often when we were out and about, we'd get ice cream. I like ice cream. And so if they were with me, they'd get ice cream too. But it got to the point where they would say, no, I don't want to go with you, but would you bring me ice cream? 
And I would say, no, because I wanted them to understand that to benefit from the things of the Father, they had to spend time with the Father. And I wanted to be with them. And when they were with me, I wanted to share good things with them. And they still got gifts and they still got loved and they weren't with me. But I wanted them to know that it's not just, the Father's not there as a vending machine. God's there to love us and to be loved, to be worshiped. It doesn't mean that God doesn't heal. I told you how I've been healed. I've seen and we've heard from this platform how others have been healed. God does care about us. He cares about all of our lives. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing. We can't just expect him to dump blessings on us. We have to do the good work of walking in the ways that he set in front of us. We have to do the good work of worshiping him. And when we do those things, the rest of life falls into perspective. We have to believe that he's worthy of our worship and adoration. When he's worshiped, we experience his character. We experience his goodness. When we worship him for out of who he is, it keeps us focused, not on the things that are impacting us, but on him. And in him, things impact us differently. Several weeks ago, Estelle came kind of very quickly into the bedroom and I was laying on the bed because I hurt. And that was the one position I didn't hurt as much. And so very excitedly, she says, I wanna tell you what I read in the Bible today. And to be honest, I didn't wanna hear what was in the Bible. I didn't wanna hear from my enthusiastic wife, but I knew neither would sit well with her. And so I very enthusiastically said, what? Well, she very passionately said, it cost God and Jesus so very much to pay for our redemption, it only makes sense that we should do everything we can to hold on to it. Turns out it's exactly what I needed to hear her say. I know it's a free gift, but God calls us to walk worthy in the manner that we've been called. Walk in a manner to live life in such a way that, that he paid for. It's not cheap grace. It's not a one-time fix-all. No, we partner with him and we learn to live a different way. We learn to live as Christ followers. We learn to live as Christians. We learn to live with the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Romans 12.2 tells us that we even learn to think differently, not the ways of the world, but in ways that bring clarity to what God's intentions are. And I found over the years that when I think this way, pain grips less. I have more freedom to experience joy. I have more freedom to experience peace. My instant gratification mindset doesn't always serve me well. It probably doesn't serve you well either. But if I'm in the mindset and being mindful of God and his ways, I find out that I'm more patient, that I trust him. I trust him to do what he wants to do. And I found that that's typically the right thing to do. Back in 1996, Estelle and I took the pastor of a vineyard church in Rolla, Missouri. 
It was a church of four or 500, but when we got there, there were 25 people. It had fragmented in multiple church splits. And the vineyard denomination wanted to keep a presence in the Midwest. And so we went and with the intent of rebuilding it. Not long after we were there, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association agreed with a conversation that some other pastors in the town had previously started to come and to do a, an associate crusade a year later. Now, because I was from a larger area, Seattle, I was from a larger church, I had done larger events, the ministers asked if I would lead them in, in this endeavor. I said, sure, sounded fun. Now, at the time, I was struggling from having crushed C2, and, and I had these headaches that would pop up in about 20 seconds. And, and many times I would pass out from pain. And so I had to be very careful when I felt that initial surge of pain to pull over or get safe or, or whatever. And it turned out that God allowed that pain to keep me from 11 of the 12 meetings with all the pastors in town over that next year. At very best, I could listen in on the phone and coach. A month after the crusade, which was very successful in, a, in an area of about 30,000 uh, people, we saw about 900 adults come to faith and, and get involved in churches. A month later, we moved to Minneapolis to join the BGA team. And the pastors in town threw a luncheon party for me and, and they said, thank you for your leadership. And I said, guys, I didn't lead. I just laid on the couch and coached sometimes. You did it. And they were all so surprised that they did it, that God had used them in, in a way bigger than any of them had been used before. And I was so grateful that God kept me on that couch so these guys could have that look of amazement on their face and realize that God had used them in the salvation of over 900 people. About a month ago, one of those pastors called me and we talked a little bit about it and it was, it was good to hear from him. God's ways are more encompassing. They're better for us. But we typically have to wait for them. We have to do the last thing we know that we were to do. And if we're in the Bible, that's just to obey him and to expect that he's present. We've got to be patient. We've got to trust that God is at work. We don't need to be patient with God, but we need to be patient with ourselves. Living in this world is difficult. It's trying. Galatians 5.5 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. Why does it say through the Spirit? Well, Jesus in John 14 said to him, when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things he'll do is remind you of the things that he's taught and bring them to remembrance. I forget. And the older I get, the more I forget. But throughout the day, there's just a memory that comes up and says, oh yeah, God's faithful, or, or God's got this, or, or God's holding you, or you don't have to worry about that. You can trust God. No, you don't need to worry about that. You, can be, you don't have to be anxious about that. The Father knows. And I can sigh and sit back into whatever it is I'm doing and, and let it go. The Holy Spirit is within us because he's, we're the temple of God. 
it says that don't forget you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives within you. God is that close. He is that present. Now, over the last nine months, there have been times when, honestly, I've considered the value of living. Estelle and I have had a couple of those conversations and it scares her. Frankly, it scares me. But there are times when the pain is one. And I just, I don't want to go on. Pain pills are insufficient. Life seems too busy. I don't feel worthy of giving anybody any pastoral advice. Sure don't feel like leading. So what do we do? What do you do? When life seems to be overwhelming, when the waiting just seems like it's too much, when you want to hope, but hope seems really distant. No, here's what we do. We, if not me, Estel, we pray fervently. We're invited into the throne room of the Father, and so we go there quickly and often. Every time I've had those conversations with Estel, she's listened without judgment. She lets me talk. It's hard, but we both know God and we trust him in all things. We trust that God knows all of this and he's present. We know that God's present at those conversations. He's not distant. We do seek medical advice, knowing that they practice medicine, but God's the healer. We stay honest about what's happening. We know that God isn't punishing me or her. I'm just getting old, and my body's breaking down like Genesis 3 said it would. We tell ourselves the truth. God's present. He cares. He hears our prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, hard to do in pain at times, let your requests be made known to him. I know I get to do the good work of holding on to my faith because God and Jesus did the great work of establishing my redemption. That's important. I come back to that sometimes daily. Just do the good work. Do what's next. Do what's in front of you. Estelle and I, we love each other and we hold each other accountable to truth. You have to have somebody in the body of Christ to walk with you when waiting is difficult. When hope is distant is not when you isolate. When hope is distant is when you call that person and you say, it hurts. I'm scared. Will you stand with me? And we ask God for what he knows we need. I remember in my 20s and young 30s, constantly telling God what I needed from him. And the problem was I, I just kept getting hurt and I kept having to have surgeries and, and it just didn't seem to work. But at the same time, I was getting to know him. I was getting to trust him. He used my pain and suffering in ways that I never thought he could. I remember not getting up the stairs fast enough one day. We lived in Eden Prairie in Minneapolis. And I stood frozen on the steps, afraid to go up or down, knowing I would pass out if I moved. 
And all of a sudden, it was like these two arms just wrapped around me and held me. I remember Esther was at the top of the stairs. It wasn't her. And I remember hurting and I remember hoping I never moved because it was so good. God's presence was so real. And I remember my tears changed from tears of pain to tears of joy. It was that palpable. It was that good. He invites us to ask. And so I've stopped asking for healing. Instead, I now pray that God will find me faithful because I know I'll find him faithful. It's Christmas time. And we acknowledge the earthly birth of baby Jesus, but we worship the King Jesus. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in all of his majesty, and he's also waiting. He's waiting for the Father to say, go. Go get your bride. Put an end to sin. Put an end to this mess. But God is also waiting. He's waiting that more come to know his, his loving forgiveness and his grace. If you're hearing this, please know that God cares deeply about your pain and your sorrow. And he's with you. If you don't know him, ask him to show himself to you. He already has in numerous ways through creation, through the Bible, through friends you may know. But it's okay to ask him personally. There's also going to be a couple of steps that you'll need to do. You'll need to make a choice of believing that he did die for your sins. You'll have to make a choice that you trust him to forgive you, to be your savior, to be your Lord. And when you do, you'll live better now, but you'll live eternally past physical death. As you understand that you've sinned against him because of your selfishness and your pride, you'll have a desire to confess, to repent, to say, I'm sorry. Do that. That's how we turn from the ways of the world to the ways of God. And you'll need to get involved in a good Bible-believing church and get around others who also believe so you know how to grow. You have to learn what the Bible means when it tells us different things to do, how to live. You're welcome here at High Point Church. We'd love to have you if you're in the listening audience online. It's what we do. We come together and we love each other and we listen to God's word and we encourage one another. So now until the moment when the baby born in Bethlehem comes back as king with his armies to judge sin and gather the church to himself, we pray, we wait, and we live in such a manner that we'll be found faithful. And those around us can see the beauty of what, who God is inside of us. And may God get the credit in how we live, how we talk, how we hope, and how we wait. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that in the midst of life and the pains of life, one, you don't abandon us, you're very present, but two, you use it to the good for those that are called according to your purpose, for those of us that live your ways. Reminded of the verse that says that you take what was intended for evil and you turn it to good. But that all comes as we know who you are and we choose to worship you.
And we keep that the primary thing. And we don't worship the secondary blessings that you give us, but we worship you because you're so deserving. Father, if there are those that are in pain that have struggled and it feels like pain is working today, would you be gracious to them? Would you allow these words to, to have benefit for them? It's so easy to focus inward and forget your presence, forget your strength, forget your power. And let those who are not in pain be careful how they listen to and speak to those who are in pain. To be gentle, to be kind, to not compare stories, but just to listen, offer encouragement, and then to pray. Father, may you be honored in all that we do. In your name, amen. Merry Christmas.